Hello, my name is Curtis Merriweather Jr. You are listening to the Business Theologist Podcast. This podcast is for new and seasoned business professionals looking to uncover knowledge gems. This podcast is unlike other business podcasts because we endeavor to create a synergistic relationship between business, management, scholarship, and theology. In addition to being an executive leader, I am also a doctoral candidate. The insights shared on this podcast will give you an edge over the competition. Whether you're an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, or executive leader, or someone looking to change careers, I invite you to travel along this learning journey with me. Buckle up and let's get ready for the ride. Let's go. Thank you guys for joining another episode of the Business Theologist Podcast. Man, do I have a treat for you guys today. I have a friend and an executive doctoral classmate of mine. His name is Michael Colley. Michael Richard Colley received his Master of Science in Management and Organizational Behavior from Benedictine University and his doctor of ministry from Andrews University. He is now a doctor student in the doctor of management program at the Weatherhead School of Management at Case Western Reserve University. He is also a DM, that means doctor of management, fellow, Fowler, excuse me, center fellow of the Fowler Center of Business as an Agent of World Benefit and a DM nonprofit management fellow at the Weatherhood School of Management. Michael is a pre, well, actually still, he's an ordained minister. He pastored congregations in Washington, Texas, Tennessee, before transitioning to his work as a practitioner scholar. He is currently CSO at Cohort for Care and associate professor, professor, I can't talk today, of professional studies at Lipscomb University. Well, welcome to the platform, none other and my good friend, Michael Colley. Thank you, Curtis. I'm glad to be here. I've been looking forward to spending time with you. Man, Michael is a guy that I met more than a year ago. It was August of 2019, to be exact. We had all just got into this prestigious program at Case Western Reserve. And I remember the first day of class, everyone came with their suits on. <laughs> We didn't realize at that point that the, 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 the uh, environment was very lax and comfortable. So we all were dressing to impress. Um, but, you know, here it is 18 months plus or minus later. And Michael, Kylie and I have become uh, good friends. Um, he's become my research rock star. And you'll learn more about Michael, Kylie in a second. Man, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. <clears throat> I, uh, I love this time of year. This is this is probably my favorite time of year. I don't I don't even mind the clouds and the cold outside. It's uh, I like the Christmas music and and uh, time with family. I like sugary snacks. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Michael and I have a great time when we we're on campus. In case we have not been on campus for you guys who have been tuning in, we have not been on campus since March of this year. I quite frankly miss being on campus. We just finished up our fall semester um, classes will start back up for us mid January. And right now there are potential plans for us to all get back on campus in April. But of course that's all tentative and subject to change. So, I mean, Michael Colley, you're new to our audience. So tell us who is Michael Colley? Well, that's a, uh, yeah, that's a very, uh, uh, there's only one Michael Colley, uh, just like there's only one, <laughs> one of any person um you know my my path and my work um you know a lot of us define ourselves by our work and who we are and what we do um which is you know what my book is about currently uh you at work bringing who you are to what you do and uh the reason i uh put that on hold is because i wanted to do research uh which is why i came to case um 
so that once the book is published, it can be published from a foundation of solid scholarly work uh, rather than just my thoughts, which I think my thoughts are great. Uh, but, you know, I think it's even more valuable uh, if I've woven my thoughts into what I've heard from others and the, and the research that I've done. So, uh, so right now, uh, like you said, I am a doctoral of management student at Case Western Reserve University, and we've been there for a year and a half. We have another two and a half to go and uh, for the PhD program. A year and a half of and classes. Year and a half of classes. <laughs> but then weird... I, th I think, don't, don't we have some seminars we have to go to? Well, the last right? year of our dissertation, and so for those who haven't listened to the podcast, uh, Michael and I are at Case Western Reserve, as he mentioned. We're in a doctoral program and the doctoral program we're in has two options. You can do three years of coursework and along the way we write our papers, you go. And at the end, which would be what, spring 2022, we could graduate as doctors. So you, we will have a doctor of management. They've now changed the program to a DBA. So now going forward, for those who came in this year, it'll be a doctor of business administration. As it stands today, both Michael and I are planning on doing the PhD, which is an additional year. There's no coursework, but I think there's two uh, seminars in the fall and two in the spring. And provided we we pass our comprehensive exams, which is not a requirement if you stop it three years, and we successfully defend our dissertation at the end, we will be PhD candidates and not just doctors. So hopefully that didn't just muddy the water <laughs> <laughs> and, and and doing the phd we get to do an extra research uh you right. know so like because we do mixed methods so we just finished our qualitative study we're getting ready to launch into our quantitative study and then for those of us who do the phd we get to to do one more study um and i'm excited about that so I, i'll be doing two quantitative studies Mm -hmm. uh, my second quant study, I think, I'm not positive yet. It's early. Uh, right now, I, I'm hoping it will be a uh, some type of controlled experiment. But you asked the question of who is Michael Cauley. And, you know, I think um, one of the questions, you know, for me right now is, um, in fact, I just had, fielded this question earlier today and some feedback I, I received Um with some of my work and, and it was good criticism and a good question. And, uh, and the question was, do you think you belong in science because of your background in faith? And the person mm -hmm. who asked the question did so to prompt a response from me because it's a, it's a question that I need to provide a good answer for, uh, because I came to science as a social scientist, uh, learning uh, how to do research uh, you know, the second half of my life. Um, I started out, you know, as even a kid, my dad was a pastor, uh, like, like your dad as well. Like I don't my know dad. If shared, sure. Yeah. Um, so we both pastors kids. And, uh, so, you know, that's all I ever wanted to do is be a pastor. Well, I wanted to be a pastor because I wanted to, people to know they were loved. Um, because that's what I, I believe about faith, um, is that there is a higher power, uh, that is a higher power that is loving. And, uh, and I've, I've always believed that. Um, and I still believe it. And uh, in spite of a lot of challenges and difficulties, I still believe it. And, and I, and I think people need to know that they're beloved. And I, and, and so I was a pastor for uh, 15 years, full-time, uh, part-time when I was in college, a couple of years. So 17 years pastoring total. Um and I, I, a couple things. Um, one is that I got bored uh, about, oh, 10 years in, I just, I, I was bored. I had, I had uh, identified a, a challenge um, in the church that I pastored, and uh, I sensed it was a challenge on a large national scale for the denomination uh, that, I, that I pastored for. Um, I was a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. And uh, still am ordained uh, Seventh-day Adventist pastor. Um, actually, you know, in the process of joining the U.S. Air Force Reserve as a chaplain. And uh, so, you know, the Seventh-day Adventist Church is my endorser. And I'm thankful for that. Um, and, and so I, um, I, I saw this challenge of, you know, people that are young weren't going to church. And, you know, I was in my 20s. 
So three years out of my Master of Divinity degree, uh, my first master's, I, you know, enrolled in a doctor of ministry program and our family ended up relocating from our home in Washington. We pastored in a small logging town on the Olympic Peninsula of 10,000 people, had done a lot there in the community. Uh, it was a wonderful group of people we got to share a couple of years of our life with. Um, but I wanted to, I wanted to try to, to plant a church. And so um, my wife and I and our seven-month-old daughter, we moved to Fort Worth, Texas, and uh, my salary was funded, but I didn't have any money to do ministry, and I didn't even have one lead on who to recruit to be a part of our church other than the three of us, and one was seven months old. And so we moved into a hotel room, and um, it was just began a journey of faith. And, you know, over the course of four years, we started a church. We started a cafe, which was a coffee shop where we taught people how to pray uh, through art, through painting, through silence, uh, through meditation, um, joined the local business association. We were the first uh, nonprofit and the first church, one and the same, to join the, the merchants association. And the, the purpose of the merchants association was to improve the business uh, and get more business into the part of Keller. Uh, which is where we were, a suburb just north of Fort Worth. <clears throat> and so we, uh, I, I asked our church to join it, and, uh, and we did. And the reason for that is because I believed, you know, and it's interesting, I, I hadn't really put these pieces together, Curtis, until we started talking just now. But, you know, from fairly early on, you know, six years into pastoring, I was leading our church to align with business because I knew that if we could make the lives of the local business owners, and this is primarily retail, although some professional services, um, but if we could make their lives better, then we would make our community better. And uh, so let me just kind of stop there. I could keep going, uh, see if you have any questions. And well, this, this is this is this is all good. I mean, I wanted to ask the question. Well, I will. <laughs> oh, go, ahead. go ahead. I didn't want to. I didn't. I was trying not to take us down a rabbit hole. But for those who may be unchurched or have not grown up in church or just may not have been around any religious faith of any type, when you say church planning, what does that mean? I know what it means, but what does that mean? Yeah, thank you uh, for, for that question. So basically, church planting is entrepreneurship for church. So starting a church from scratch um, like you're starting a business because a church is a business and anybody who tells you it's not, isn't being straight with you. Um, it's a different tax structure, but a church still has to be viable to operate, right? So you have to find customers, which are the people that go to your church. You have to get money to pay the bills and to do outreach in the community. Um, and, you know, to cover the salary of those who work for the church, you know, um, so because, you know, I didn't have a second job. That was my job. So I had, right. you know, I had to uh, I had. To, so a church plant is is a business. It's a startup. It's a startup basically is what it is for a church from scratch. You have an idea. And, and my idea was we need a church that reaches teenagers and people in their 20s. And this this is 2006. You know, okay. so this is almost 15 years ago at this point. Um, so it was millennials, right? It was millennials when they were still 15 years old. Um, so, you know, maybe 20. Um, so, so, so that's, yeah, that's what church planting is. And so we, uh, we thought, you know, how do we, how do we connect with people? How do we let people know that, uh, that we love them? Because, um, I've always believed that that's what church should do, and church isn't like that. And you know, I I no longer pastor a congregation, and part of the reason for that is because I I got to a place in my life where um, I didn't like church, and uh, you know, I, I I don't go to church now, um, and uh, I don't I don't feel it, I don't understand it anymore, um, and and I and it it. Uh, so I think, you know, people listening to this that uh, that may stumble upon it because they knew me at one point in time would probably, you know, be shocked to hear me saying these things. And then, you know, um, you know I, I tried to start a church and I did start a church. Um, 
for people that were like me, which you're trying to understand what that would look like. And what it looked like was really beautiful, you know, but, uh, but nothing lasts forever, you know? And, and so even, even when, even when you're in a place where you um, gather a group of people from all walks of life, all different kinds of people, um, you know, everything has a time and, and uh, you know, eventually, um, you know, we, we moved on. Uh, we moved to Tennessee uh, to be near my wife's family. I took another position at a church here. And, uh, but when I did that, um, and I had finished my first doctorate at that point, and I had started teaching um, for the seminary uh, as adjunct, um, started teaching other pastors and leaders. And, uh, um, and then at that point, my heart was in teaching, and, and I knew that's what I wanted to do. Um, and so I started looking at PhD programs in religion, and, uh, and I, I didn't get into the ones that were prestigious and the ones I got into. Um, you know, was, it was not good for my family to re- basically my wife didn't want to move there. Um, and which, which Happy is wife. understood. Happy life. And there you go. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, so, so at that point I gave up, uh, after trying that for four years and, and went to, to the Hudson Institute of coaching to become an executive coach. And, um, and, and so then I, then I started my coaching practice, um, while I was still pastoring, built that to the point where I was able to stop pastoring and do my executive coaching. And then that led me into a full-time academic appointment um, at the university I teach at now. So and I teach, I teach coaching, uh, um, International Coaching Federation uh, accredited coaches training program. So I've trained coaches for um, military, uh, Ivy League schools, healthcare, music industry because we're in nashville um state government so got it and you say you know coaching is a new buzzword today so when you say coaching what do you mean by coaching i teach leaders to listen gotcha. that's what i mean yeah gotcha you know, just wanted to clarify for the audience so you threw out a buzzword and i'm bad about this as well um she said adjunct. So some folks who, you know, we, you know, I didn't, I, I think I knew what that word was before I got the case, but an adjunct, and you correct me if I misspeak, is basically a part-time instructor. Is that correct? Did I characterize correct. that correctly? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So y'all kind of have some background about who Michael is. And, you know, Michael's an amazing person. I mean, he, he, he doesn't, he's very modest. He, he would not boast on himself. Um, but he found himself at Harvard. Don't you go to Harvard annually to kind of do your? Is that I I, pre- I presented uh, a couple times at Harvard. There. Yeah, yeah. So you know, um, Michael's very accomplished. He's not gonna toot his own horn, you guys. So I have to toot it for him. Um, but why did you? You kind of talked about it briefly. You was looking at initially trying to get a PhD appointment in religion. But before oh, yeah. we even before we even get to that, kind of tell people because Michael has a doctorate already. He has a doctor of ministry. So why? So for folks who are kind of looking like whether it's a, in our program, whether it's, I'll call it now a DBA or a PhD, or in your case, a D-man, which is a doctor of ministry versus a PhD in religion. Can you kind of explain to the listeners, what's the difference between a doctorate? And, I, and when I say doctorate, just for the conversation, we're going to talk about EDDs. Uh, that's a doctor of education. We're going to talk about JDs, which is basically your lawyers. We're going to talk about um, DBAs, because a lot of business people listen to us. Um, DMs, which is a doctor of management. What's the difference between that doctorate and we're going to differentiate by calling a PhD? Why the PhD when you already have a doctorate? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so, you know, I started, I, so all of the doctorates, all, of, all doctoral degrees, except a PhD, are all professional doctorate degrees. So an EDD is a professional doctorate in education. A DBA is a professional doctorate in business. A JD is a professional doctorate in law. Um, A DMIN is a professional doctorate in in ministry. Uh, And all of those professional doctorates are wonderful journeys that are transformative journeys uh, and prepare people for um, leadership and really improve their leadership 
And, and a lot of people um, go into academia and, and do quite well um, teaching with those degrees. A PhD is an academic degree uh, that prepares you for research. And so, you know, I started teaching 10 years ago and I enjoy teaching. But what I learned is that what I like about teaching is my own learning. And the way that once you're a professor, the way that you learn is by your own research. And so if you want to have time to be able to do research, you, you have the goal is a faculty appointment that allows you to do research. And in order to do research, you have to learn research. And a PhD program is, is how you learn research. Um, now, so that's, you know, that, and, and a PhD program recognizes that you've learned research. Um, wow. So our, you know, our program at Case is unique, I believe, in that we, even those who stay with the DBA have a very strong research background. You know, they'll do two studies, very strong research background. Um, but when you look at the language on Weatherhead's website with the DM, DBA, PhD path, the language is for those who want to reorient their career to academia, we offer the PhD in management. And so for me, having taught, you know, now full-time um, for two and a half years, but as an adjunct, as a part-time instructor for seven and a half years before I got a full-time appointment, I, you know, I'm, I'm 43. And so I, I want to, I want to really deeply contribute for at least another 30 years. Wow. And, and I, and I want to do that. I want to do that through research. And so um, I want to, number one, I need to learn how to do research. And, and then number two, I want to be at a place where I um, have the ability as part of my workload to, to study and conduct studies um, and, and do research. Uh, absolutely. And I'll throw some more just kind of clarifying terms out there. So early in our conversation, Michael talked about a qualitative study. And you, you chime in if I mischaracterize because you're so eloquent with your words, Michael. Um, a qualitative study being very open-ended, typically going to be like a, a Q&A format. Questions are going to be very open-ended, designed to elicit the lived experience of the interviewee. Quantitative is numbers, numbers or experiments. So when we talked about our program, um, we just finished up a qualitative study. Actually, Michael's finished with his qualitative study. Mine is still ongoing. Um, a qualitative study. Second study is a quantitative study. And then the then in a, um, the, the doctoral program, and I'm talking doctoral being the practitioner side, there's a there's a third component, and it's an integrative as an integrative paper. And basically you integrate your qualitative with your quantitative. They call that a mixed methods. So if you decide to, you can, and you can finish your program and get your DBA with that, or Michael and I have elected to um, pursue a PhD, and then you're going to do a third study. So you've done your qual paper, you've done a quant paper, and there's a whole methodology behind that that we won't, we will not get into here because we'll be in here all day. <laughs> um, then you have your mixed methods, which is kind of the process they're taking us through in that last, what we call integrated paper. And the PhD, you have to elect to do either another qual study or a quant study, your own personal preference. And those four things, the qual, the quant, the integrated paper, and the additional study, qual a qualitative or quantitative study, those four elements create a dissertation. Did I? Did I oh, you got it. Somebody, yeah. That, well, so that brings us to another question. So the question I have for you now, Michael, is do you feel like you've grown in this, especially in your unique, because you already have a doctorate. But do you feel like you have grown in our program? And I'm assured that there's going to be other people in different programs or different schools. Um, the traditional schools are very different from ours. 
there's tons of content out there on the traditional PhD. We're in an executive doctoral program. But do you feel like you've grown as a person and as a scholar in the executive program in which we're in? I, I believe I have. Yeah, I, I believe I've grown uh, substantially and we're only partway, partway in. You know? um, I mean, I definitely I know how to do qualitative research now, you know, um, and I know how to rewrite and rewrite and rewrite. And, I, you know, I'm you know, I, I mean, yes, I've turned my study in, but um, I'm also about you know, in the process of getting ready to start rewriting it uh, before I submit my paper uh, to the Academy of Management conference, you know, um, that's submissions due January 12. So, and I need to rewrite my paper at least one more time before I submit, um, maybe even more. Um, but we're going we're gonna to start with one because I got a whole quantitative, you know, um, thing I got to do, which you, you know, which we have to do. We um, have to do, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and then as a person, I've grown, uh, not primarily I've grown as a person due to the kindness of, uh, the members of my cohort, um, and the way that we, uh, spend time together and speak into each other's lives. Um, you know, I, I came to case knowing, ha having an idea of what I wanted to do, and at this point, you know, you, almost a year, well, a year and a half in, three semesters in, at this point, I have, you know, my path of what I want to accomplish lined up for the next two and a half years. Um, I'm in the process of developing, um, you know, my, my path of what I want my research agenda to be for the next five to seven. Um, I know where I want to go. I know what my goal is and, and where I want to go once I leave uh, the program. Um, I, and primarily, you know, all of that said, it's very simple. You know, I want, I, I need to write and publish. I mean, that's my, that's my work. That's my work now. And that will be my work until, until I can no longer work. Um, that's, what I've decided. Uh, so I don't know how many, you know, hope, hopefully I have, you know, I have uh, many more years, you know, at least 30, if not 40, um, yeah. you know, so, so, or maybe even more, um, you know, one of my uh, favorite scholars, Edgar Schein, you know, he, he's publishing in his early nineties, you know, um, and Peter Drucker did as well. So, right. you know, and, and I, and I do believe that I, so yes, I've grown. Um, and, and it's also, I've, I've gained knowledge. I've also gained confidence. Um, and I, and I've also, I've also, um, uh, know, I know my contribution more mm -hmm. than I did before it. It. You know, because I, because I came, I, I came to business from a different place. Right. Um, you know, I came from a faith background, uh, which you have a faith background too, you know, but I, I was like, I worked for the church. I was a pastor, you know, for, uh, for 15 years. And so, you know, that was, um, so I learned a lot about, you know, how to motivate people, um, you know, internally. Um, and I learned a lot about how people want to be motivated um, wow. internally. And, and so I think that, that, um, you know, so my research um, is my, my current research, you know, has in, in frontline healthcare professionals, and decision making, um, you know, I uh, it's taken it takes forever uh, to come up with um, what it is that you're going to study. But 18 months in, I've I've finally put it into seven words, and that is that physicians have lost intimacy with their data. Wow, wow, that's strong. That's changed since the last time we talked. Yeah, well, I just kept working at it, you wow. know, and. Uh, but, but so the standardization of electronic medical records has disconnected the physician from the note in the coffee cup. Wow. And, wow. you know, so, and, and it's, it's no wonder that in my study, healthcare providers, not just physicians, but advanced practice as well, find themselves disconnected uh, because we connect to our work with the tools that we use. Right. No, absolutely. I agree. 
and, and, and the reason why I wanted to hear your perspective and why you know we talked about doing this podcast episode weeks ago is because you have committed differently. I mean, you don't have a, you know, I, I everybody knows my story. I was an engineer turned entrepreneur a firm, still working at firm. And so although like Michael, my father is a, a pastor, I was a PK. I didn't go down the traditional path of quote unquote, the family business. I, that, I had no desire to do that whatsoever. <laughs> and for, and we could talk about that for a whole nother episode, but that was not what I wanted to do. Um, so now I integrate my faith in some trainings and teachings we do uh, all around entrepreneurship, kind of, you know, faith-based, but I had no desire to be a pastor no desire to work in ministry, none. And so um, the thing that I find very um, empowering about our program and, and you as a person is basically you, this program has literally allowed you to pivot your whole career, which I think is like amazing. Uh, it talks about just the power of education and the power of pivoting with the new knowledge base. And so, because I, I don't even think you have, and I don't, do you, are you, do you have an MBA? I should know the answer to this. No, I, I have a master. I went a different route. I have That's a master of science in management and organization behavior. I, right. I didn't, I didn't do the MBA for a very specific reason. Um, and that's that a lot of people have MBAs. Everybody has MBAs. And, and some would say they yeah. don't, they don't have their value anymore because everyone has them. That's an argument probably for a different day, but some would say that there's too many MBAs floating around now. It doesn't. Yeah. And, you know, I, I have my eyes on further education after this program, but I, I don't, I don't think I'll do an MBA. I, uh, it's, it's no need at this point. I think the PhD trumps the MBA, um, based on this path that you've, you've, uh, you've taken question. That's actually twofold question. Number one question. We talked about your growth. You know, my, 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 my family has seen my growth. So what has your family said about the evolution of Michael Colley since he's been in this program? Has your, has your family noticed a difference that they still say, well, you, he's just dad. What does your family say, wife or kids about kind of who you are evolving into today as a result of the PhD program? Um, let's see. My dad sent me something the other day. Uh, he said that I am courageous and commendable. Wow. That's pretty amazing. Um, what does the wife say? My wife says that uh, I'm doing what it takes to help our family get to where we are wanting to be. Wow. wow. Because it's a challenge coming out of a nonprofit background, right? So I'm in all of my classmates have, uh, are at a very different place in life, um, professionally at executive levels, um, financially than I am, right? Nonprofit pays a lot of dividends. None of them are financial. Um, so, you know, so for me, this, this has been an investment. Um, and you know, I have my, my business or had my business, um, you know, and, and then I pivoted um, and started another business in healthcare um, with some colleagues during the pandemic, um, you know, as a means to begin to build off of uh, my research and what I've been doing. Um, but there's definitely a building. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, I think if, um, and my wife is a, uh, in, you know, she's an industry organization psychologist. She's also an academic. She teaches at, uh, Eastern Kentucky University. She has an interview with a uh, with another um, nationally well known uh, school tomorrow to teach for their faculty. Um, and you know, one of the things that she's told me um, is uh, how much she values the um, the investment of the program wow. um, because she wants to do this too. I don't know if she wants to go to case, you know, she's looking where she wants to go as well. Um, but, you know, once I'm done, she's, she's headed back. And I think, you know, that really, that ties into, to our kids a lot. You know, the youngest one um, wants to be a judge, um, wow. a lawyer and a judge. 
and uh, and then she wants to open a bakery in the second half of life. Okay. Um, and then the oldest one um, wants to be an editor and then publish uh, a novel. Um, but I uh, but I think what that's done so it's flipped it for our kids. Whereas my wife and I um, were very service oriented and gave a lot of ourselves uh, financially the first half of career. And now we have to, you know, we're moving into something different. Um, our kids are number one, being very clear about what they want to do right away so that they aren't in school, you know, when they're in their early forties Two, they all they they have aspirations of something um, that they want to do that is uh, kind of comes from who they are, but they want to have a strong financial foundation first. Understand? Um, yeah, if that make if that makes sense. No, that makes total sense. Your your kids kind of saw, I guess, on in hindsight, you know, uh, um, you know, you know, kids have a, see things differently. So they kind of saw in hindsight some of the things that dad did, good or bad. And, you know, hopefully our kids learn from us. And so um, you're sound like your kids have, based on what they've seen, they've taken the things they like and they've kind of figured out their own life, whatever that means to them, based on their own experience. And there's nothing wrong. So it sounds like the kids even have, have had some growth. Yeah, you, oh, absolutely. What would you say? Because we, you know, you'll be surprised how many messages I get. I mean, this podcast is not that old, but you'll, I think this is our eighth episode that we're recording now, um, but you'll be surprised how many times people email me or LinkedIn message me or Instagram message me about a PhD. So being that I came to this PhD in management kind of from a traditional role, um, which I think is amazing. Everyone knows that I, I brag about. I, I just started talking about where I went to school not long ago, but I'm super excited about this program. But what would you tell someone who was thinking about a PhD and was kind of on the fence? What would you tell them? Should, in terms of should they do it or should they not? They've been thinking about it, but I don't know if I'm smart enough because you know you deal with that. Um, would I like it? What would you tell somebody who's considering it? What would you tell them to consider? in terms of making a decision to PhD or post PhD, especially post 35. Yeah. So a couple things. Um, one is you have to go to a good school. Uh, it's not the investment of time and money and energy uh, in a PhD Make sure that you pick a program that is really going to stretch you. Just because you you enter a doctoral program doesn't mean that you are going to be challenged in that program. Wow. Um, so make sure that you find, you know, I had I listed six, six or seven schools. Um, and you know, do you MIT, mind? No, I don't mind. Okay. Ahead, M M M MIT, MIT was my first choice. Okay. Harvard was my second. Okay. Case was my third. Right. Um, I think University of Michigan was on the list. Carnegie Mellon was on the list. Um, and oh, there was one other, but I don't remember what it was. I, I have it in a journal someplace. Okay. Well, um, I, one, I didn't want to relocate my family. And, and then two, when I traveled to Cleveland and to University Circle and saw the campus and met the faculty, I knew it was for me. Wow. Um, I, I knew that. So Benedictine University, where I did my Master of Science in Management and Org Behavior, I loved that school. That school took me as a pastor and mm -hmm. taught me business. Wow. Um, and, and I have wonderful things to say about that school. They all, they also offer a PhD in organizational behavior, but, but I, but I had, I'd been to school there. I wanted something different, you know? And, um, and so, so you, you need to go to a school that will stretch you, um, a school that will, um, like squeeze everything out of you that you think you have in you and then make, and then get you digging 
offer something deeper because you got to give more because they've taken everything that you gave up easily. If that, uh, <laughs> if no, that makes agreed. sense. Agreed. And, and then you have to know what your motivation is for it. You have to have a fire in you for it. Um, and you have to reorient your life to it. Um, you know, so I, I actually reoriented my work, um, you know, so that th this is my full focus um, during the week, no, you know, no. because, because this is, this is what I, this is what I want. And, um, you know, so, so you have to want it. You need to go to a program that's, that's, that will stretch you. Um, it, if you're in it just to be called doctor, that gets, I mean, I've been called doctor for 11 years. That doesn't, yeah, that's okay. That's not, that's not motivation to do, to do any of this. Um, you know, more initials after your name. I, you know, um, I have a friend who, um, oh, where was she? Had, one of my colleagues, they, they mess with me because, you know, I'm like, they call me Mr. Professor, Reverend Doctor, you know, and <laughs> Mr. Professor, yeah, Reverend Doctor. Yeah, when yeah, we get back and, to Cleveland, that's going to be your new. <laughs> and now, and now, and now I'm in the process of joining the Air Force. So, and I'm going in as a captain. So, you know, and a chaplain, right? So, so, you know, you, everyone, uh, an in officer. The Air Force, you're going to be yeah, officer. an officer. I'll be, yeah, I'll be a captain. So, um, but but it, but no matter what rank you are as a chaplain, they call you chaplain. But uh, you know, but rank is pay grade. But uh, you know, so if you're if you're doing something to collect um, titles or to collect letters after your name, I, I, it's a waste of your time. Do something better with your life. But if you're if you're doing it because Great. you're curious, because you want to learn how to do research, you want to. You want to truly be a lifelong learner uh, and become a global thought leader. That that's the reason to do a PhD. And the thing, but there's no guarantees. You know, there's no get. This isn't like college where you show up and pay the money and you get a grade. You know, right. um, you you can't you you can't. Th this isn't like that. And. Uh, it stretches you and you have to, you have to want to be stretched and you have to be willing. Absolutely. Be I mean, that's, that's, that's great. That's great advice. You know, the advice that I give, um, I have not been in the acad academic uh, ac space of academia as long as you have, but uh, the, the advice that I give people is you got to figure out how to get a return on your investment. You know, I won't say how much we're spending for this program, but you and I both know and people can go look it up if they're really curious. This program is not cheap. And so the advice I give folks who ask me about the program, I say, you got to figure out a way to monetize the program. I don't mean purely money, but there has to be a way that you get a return back on your investment, whether that's a career pivot. But to your point, it cannot just be for the simple fact that I want someone to call me doctor. Like, you know, there's a running joke in my house. I told my kids, once I graduate, um, it was Dr. Dad <laughs> from that day forward. Of course, I'm just joking. But yeah. I did tell him, okay, just give me the day. Just call me doctor for the day. And then the following day after graduation, you can we can go back to our normal routine. But just give me that for the day. But to your point, this is you don't do this. And, you know, our very first semester, I won't call it a professor's name, but if you've been the case, uh, this particular program, you know who he is more than likely. He's not there this semester. Um, but I remember reading some of the stuff in our collective action class. And I won't call the professor's name, even though he's a great person. I could say nothing bad about him. And I remember some of those reading lists like uh, Hirschman or Exit Voice and Loyalty. And we were reading some of this stuff. And I had moments where I was like, dude, am I slow? I mean, the, the, the sentences would be sometimes four lines long. And we'll have three and four kind like that. The book that comes to mind is Exit Voice and Loyalty. And they will have political theory, economic theory, and um, social movements <laughs> all wrapped up in one sentence. And you'll be like, what? what did I just read? And it would take me hours to read a chapter. Yeah. And, and you know, of course, we were all new, so no one would tell each other that we were all going through the same struggle. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's <laughs> it's beautiful. It's just beautiful. Yeah, I don't I don't think I don't think there's much better in the world um, than being challenged at right. that level. I yeah, yeah. Plaguing with imposter syndrome, probably in, in moments when everyone in your cohort is smart, and it's like okay, but. You know, it, it, this level, it's not even about being smart anymore because everyone in the program is smart. So this yeah. is a marathon, not a sprint. And this is one of those things, you know, like I remember, I remember the initial interviews getting into the program and uh, the director with, uh, you know, there's two of them. We won't call names. Um, he said, you know, you basically dedicate. What is it? They told us 20 hours a week, 30, 30 hours a week. 30. And I can't speak for you, but me. I got an engineering degree. I got two, two, two master's degrees. I was like, dude, I've been hearing this my whole life. Whatever. I said, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm going to. And then they made us one of the essays. We had to basically write out a plan of how we were going to allocate time. And I wrote it up and was like, I'm going to do this, but I'm not going to need it because I'm a great student. I told one of the directors maybe a semester ago that when you told me that it was going to be a 30 hour a week commitment. I didn't think you were telling the truth, but it's probably more. That was probably yeah. an understatement. Yeah. I thought the same thing. I thought, okay, maybe 10. Right. Cause maybe I thought 10. I'm, I'm good at school. I'm good but at you're school, in, but you're in school. You're in school with everybody's good at school. Right. And everybody's smart. Right. Right. And right. everybody's accomplished. Right. You know, um, you know, I mean, my goodness, you know, one of our classmates has a four has a medal from a, you know, a village in France because he brokered a business deal there. You know, right. I mean, I mean, the other people you could just go on. So it's it's um, and it's so much fun. It is. Um, fun. Yeah. And it's and it's very fulfilling. And. Um, and, you know, it's like the. uh one of the directors of the program told me, he said, you'll have fun. You'll love these years. They're great years. They'll be very hard. And ultimately you'll contribute something that will lead to doing good in the world. Absolutely. Right. Um, Which is what I want to do with helping make the lives of healthcare providers better, helping them, helping them remember why they chose healthcare to begin with. Wow. Michael, you've given me an enriching conversation today. I mean, we could talk on and on about the PhD program, but I wanted to do this episode in particular because you'll be surprised how many, how much interest um, and curiosity there is, you know, at our age, we're both over 40. We're in a PhD program, not a traditional program, because, you know, you got the traditional program, just, just like school, you go to every day. Our program is not like that. I didn't have as many schools to narrow from as Michael did, because I knew that I could not um, because of my work, I knew that I could not be in a traditional program. So for me, it was all executive doctoral programs. And there are a few. I was anti, just my own personal bias. I was anti online education, even though we're kind of online schooling now. But it's a little different. We did sign up for a traditional program, but no one foresaw COVID. Um, but I, I'm, but I think our school has done a good job of trying to still maintain some normalcy as best as I think anybody can in this environment. Hopefully we'll get back on campus next, next end of next semester, the end. Um, but I, I'm still against uh, purely online um, programs. So I believe the, the best learning comes from sitting in the classroom with people like Michael. And I, I, you know, I tell this story and I told him a couple of weeks ago, I remember that very first, uh, residency week you know it was wednesday thursday friday saturday and you know michael is a theology major so he would come in and i always say the author's name but i think it was kierkegaard 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 so he would come in quoting these authors i had never heard of (laughs) and going on these uh long monologues that were very enlightening I'm like, dude, I'm slow. <laughs> hearing Mike, uh, hearing Michael go off on these intellectual uh, exercises. And we would all look around and be like, who's this dude? Who, who let him in the program? Not in a bad way, but you know, the, the bar was very high. 
And, uh, you know, I, I get so much by just sitting in class, listening to Michael um, every week. He always has something interesting to contribute. And I'll say this, you know, go to a program that Michael said earlier is demanding, not just for the sake of getting into the demanding program, but those demanding programs attract people who uh, have are all accomplished. They're all smart. And it's probably going to be diversity of background. And I learned just as much from the readings and the professors as I do from people like Michael and other members of our, of our cohort. So, but is there anything that we did not talk about from a PhD uh, learning objective today that you think you want to say in a closing perspective, or do you think we covered it all? Um, the only thing I would add, and, and I think we talked about this, but maybe just to circle back to it is do it because you want to make a difference in the world mm -hmm. because you have a curiosity about something. Um, and you have a dream. Uh, that's that's the mo That's the reason to choose it. Um, Those are wise words. Those are wise words. And so you see, do you guys kind of get a sense now why I love my PhD program so much? It's these rich conversations that we have at the Jolly Scholar. <laughs> you know, if you've been to Cleveland and you've been on Cases Campus, you know what that is, and the Kelvin Smith Library, and just the rich cultural scene in Cleveland. And then I guess I have a, an amazing cohort. And so those are the things that make this, this journey um, worthwhile. And although, you know, these, these 18 months, we got about 18 months left, um, a, a year classes, but 18 months total left in the program. Is that right? Yes. Is that right? No, we got uh, 18 months of class for and 18 months year. of classes and then yeah. another year. So, well, I've, I'm calling, I'm counting the classes. I have 18 months of classes. And then of course we have the year to finish our PhDs up with just the, uh, the four sessions of writing conferences basically. But you know, these are the days that I'll look back on and I've created such rich memories with people like Michael and others. And it's going by too fast. It's going by it is fast. going by fast. It's going by fast. Well, Michael, we're not going to just, you know, talk to people's ear off. We have been going at it for a while and you and I always have great conversation and we, we will probably continue. But for now, we're going to let the audience go. Thank you guys for tuning in for another week. If this show has been impactful for you, please, please, please um, sub share, subscribe, leave a note in the comments. Let us know what you like. Uh, please, uh, my email address, you guys have access to it. Email, um, LinkedIn, send me information that you guys want to know more about. If there's a guest that you would like me to get onto the podcast. Please let me know and I'll do my very best to accommodate. So thank you guys for tuning in for another week. Have a great day. Until next time. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Business Theologist Podcast. Please share, subscribe, and rate this podcast so others can find us too. If you would like to connect with me, please use the links in the show notes of this episode. Please feel free to connect with me on social media as well. I welcome the opportunity to connect and hear from you. Have a blessed week. Until next time.